Thank you for listening to this recording of Family Bible Church's Sunday morning message. We pray that God will use this word to bless and encourage you. Acts eight twenty six through 40 Now an angel of the Lord spoke to Philip, saying, Arise, and go toward the south along the road which goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. This is desert. So he arose and went. And behold, a man of Ethiopia, a eunuch of great authority under Candace, the queen of the Ethiopians, who had charge of all her treasury and had come to Jerusalem to worship, was returning. And sitting in his chariot, he was reading Isaiah the prophet. Then the spirit said to Philip, Go near and overtake this chariot. So Philip ran to him and heard him reading the prophet Isaiah and said, Do you understand what you are reading? And he said, How can I unless someone guides me? And he asked Philip to come up and sit with him. The place in the scripture which he read was this. He was led as a sheep to the slaughter and as a lamb before its shearer is silent. So he opened not his mouth. In his humiliation, his justice was taken away. And who will declare his generation? For his life is taken from the earth. So the eunuch answered Philip and said, I ask you, of whom does this prophet say this? Of himself or of some other man? Then Philip opened his mouth and beginning at this scripture preached Jesus to him. Now as they went down the road, they came to some water. And the eunuch said, See, here is water. What hinders me from being baptized? Then Philip said, If you believe with all your heart, you may. And he answered and said, I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. So he commanded the chariot to stand still. And both Philip and the eunuch went down into the water, and he baptized him. And when they came up out of the water, the Spirit of the Lord caught Philip away, so that the eunuch saw him no more, and he went on his way rejoicing. But Philip was found at Azostus, and passing through, he preached in all the cities till he came to Caesarea. And may the Lord add his blessing to the reading from his word this morning. You may be seated. Okay, so throughout our study of the, the book of Acts, um, we've been seeing how God is working out his plan in um, birthing the church and then causing the church to grow. And we've seen how he's used a process then in doing this. And we mentioned this again last week in the beginning, how God had Christ in the, on the earth gave the the commission to the apostles to go out and be his witnesses and then he empowered them to do that and so they went out and they they witnessed of of christ's death burial resurrection and as they did that then the church began to grow but along with the church growth the growth of the church there also then was persecution in that moment when they were witnessing god was at work as well god wasn't just commissioning the apostles to go out and to witness but he was also performing what he had declared he would do as well, and that is through the Holy Spirit, part of, again, the Godhead, that the, the ministry of the Holy Spirit is to convict the world of what? Sin, righteousness, and judgment. And so that's exactly then what he did. So the Holy Spirit was at work, okay, in, in Jerusalem at the time of Pentecost, and at that moment, as they began to witness, 3,000 souls were saved. Well, that got the attention then of the leaders, that brought the persecution, the... Uh, 
persecution initially was to the apostles, okay? And they rejoiced in the fact that God had cho- uh, counted them worthy of being able to be persecuted for the name of Christ. And so the church then prays. They pray for boldness in the face of all this. The walls are shaken, right? And we read, then the church comes out, and they begin then to declare the word of God. At that time, then, it begins to multiply, okay? And so now all of a sudden, the growth begins to grow further and further and greater and greater. But all this does now is bring persecution to the church in general, okay? And so we have the persecution of the, of the believers in general. We then began, the, over the last couple of weeks, to begin looking at this persecution. We saw how it begins with Stephen, from our perspective. He's the first martyr, right? And Stephen is defending the word with the, the synagogue of the, anybody remember? Freedmen, the synagogue of the freedmen, okay? Which included those who were from the region of, is anybody? Cilicia, very good. And that was important to us because who was from Cilicia? Saul of Tarsus, who becomes Paul, okay? And so from that, everyone's putting their, their cloaks down at Saul's feet, right? Stephen is killed, okay? And then we read in the beginning of Acts chapter 8, this is what we talked about last week, then Saul was not only consenting to his death, but then he then began to persecute the church even greater, okay? Began going to their houses, began dragging them out, okay? And so the church is then scattered, and in, in that actually means that the church is what? Spread, okay? So the church is scattered, but instead of actually extinguishing the flames, all they did was fan the flames to become even greater, okay? And which is kind of fun, if you've ever studied history at all, and if you've ever went in, like, in the Reformation period, the exact same thing happened all over again, okay? The, the Catholic Church, and not to pick on the Catholic Church, but sought to extinguish um, what was going on, what God was doing, okay? They acted in the same way as the Jews, okay? And all they did by seeking to extinguish it was fan the flames further, okay? And so it's kind of a fun thing to, to look at that. Well, from this moment... The church begins to scatter, and we read last week about how Philip, quote-unquote, scattered, but he went to Samaria. Now, the, 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 the little inset lets you know where we're at and all this, okay? It kind of comes bigger so you can see it. And I have the, the white arrow going up along the Jordan River because, again, if you remember, we've talked about this. This is normally how the Jews would travel, okay? Um, this is all hilly area in that area that says Samaria, okay? All that... That space, like kind of in the uh, parenthesis of that, you know, that's all hilly and mountainous, okay? And so it's hard to travel through there. And so what they would do is they would travel down through a wadi, okay, which is like um, um, if you think out in the west, okay, when the, when the rains would be up in the mountains, it rushes down and it has a gully, okay, down, down through it. And so normally the gully is dry, okay, but when it's rain up in the mountains, it comes down and there's a bunch of, there's a river there. Well, in Israel, that's called, those are called wadis, okay? So there are deep crevices that are there, okay, and there's a ridge along the, the, those crevices, and that's where they would walk. That was their highway, if you would, okay, and you would walk along the ridge of, of the crevice looking down, okay, that would be the wadi. And so there's one that travels, and you can look at Google Map, and you can still see these things, it's still there, okay. And there's one that literally goes down from Jerusalem to Jericho, or up from Jericho to Jerusalem, and that would be their major route, that's their, their highway, if you would, okay, and so years ago, I got, Marsha and I got to walk on that, it was kind of fun, um, and it kind of gives you an idea when you walk on that, the whole story of the Good Samaritan, okay, because you kind of give an idea, that's where he's walking, anyways, so they would go down there, go up along the Jordan River, and they would cut it back across, okay, 
that was the most convenient or easiest route, but it was also the route that the Jews would take so they didn't have to what? Go through Samaria, okay? Because the Samaritans were just half-breeds to them, they were disdainful to them, and they wouldn't want to be a part of it. So I don't know the route that Philip takes, okay? But this, that's the route that most Jews took. I, I, it wouldn't surprise me if that's probably the route that Peter and John took when they went to check out what was going on in Samaria. Because we find out that at the end, Peter and John, when they return to Jerusalem, how do they come back? Probably straight down south, okay? Because they're passing through the villages of Samaria to be able to give the gospel, okay? But we have the indicator that they were acting Jewish, um, when they first went to check on things and they were kind of avoiding, which is really interesting. I didn't bring it up last week, but it's an amazing thing to think about because when do we first read about Sichar in the New Testament? When do we first read about this region of Samaria? John 4, Jesus at the woman at the well. It happens right here in the same region. So these same apostles, not Philip, because he's not the apostle Philip, right? This is just one of the, the seven who were chosen to be the deacons in Acts chapter 6, okay? That Peter and John, this shouldn't surprise them. Shouldn't be shocking at all, because Jesus had already been there, remember? But if, if you remember, they were kind of bewildered even when they were there anyway, that that he didn't even be talking to us, a Samaritan woman. And then all the men come out of the, the towns of Samaria, and Jesus witnessed to them, and, 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 and all these people are saved at the time, or at least turned to faith that way. And so, kind of a fun thing. Well, at this moment, then, is where we pick up the account, okay? Philip's in Samaria. And, and I don't know, again, put yourself in, in Philip's point of view, okay? At this moment, he's scattered from Jerusalem. He goes to Samaria. Now, I don't know if he's with his family or not, but we're told later on, and I'll bring this up in a, in, a, in a moment, but he has seven daughters. Seven daughters? He has numerous daughters um, who all prophesy, okay? So he has a family, okay? So I don't know where he's at in his, his familial relationships at this moment, whether his family went with him to Samaria and all this kind of stuff, but he's in Samaria, okay? And there's a revival, not really even a revival, it's a great awakening going on. And, God, and he is the guy that God is using to do this. And so I don't know if you've ever experiences or whatever but it's fun when you see people get saved it's fun it's exciting when the church begins to grow i know this isn't about me i had someone one of my best friends ever and some some of you guys will know his name mike mcgowan i remember um at the previous church that was at that the the church began to grow in um and we were talking about it and he was very honest he says this isn't anything about you bob <laughs> <laughs> he was a good friend. He says, he says, don't get a big head. This has nothing to do with you. This has everything to do with what God's doing in this church. And that's kind of cool, okay? But it's exciting when we see things happening, isn't it? Okay? I mean, it's kind of a downer when things are kind of dying, you know? But it's kind of fun. And so I'm thinking, I'm Philip, and I'm being used by God in Samaria, and things are happening, you know? The, the church may not be the way the Jewish people had thought about it. It may not be the way he thought about it even 30 days earlier. But he's being used by God. And something exciting is happening. I mean, I don't know about you, but I'm thinking, man, it's time. My great commission is to do what? Go and what? Make disciples. Don't preach. We'll get there in a moment. Make disciples, right? I mean, you're supposed to preach. But ultimately, the goal is make disciples. So I preached, and all these people are getting saved. Now my job is what? Make disciples. No, it doesn't happen that way. Because the next thing we see is that Philip is now talked to by an angel 
God sends an angel of the Lord, an angel of Yahweh. This is an, a very Old Testament Jewish thing that's happening here. If you read the Old Testament, you'll understand that God used angels to, and sent them as messengers to, 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 to the, those he would choose to use as judges and to leaders and that kind of stuff and to give them guidance, okay? And so he does the same thing here. He sends an angel, angel of Yahweh um, to him to declare a message to him. And the message then is twofold, okay? But what we see in Philip is this passion, this commitment, and this passion, and it's going to come out then in these three areas that we're going to see um, as we go through this passage. First of all, with the angel. And the angel then gives him a command. It's actually a two-part command, which is kind of interesting, because in a lot of areas, there's, um, when we're seeing these things, there's a, there's a command, as we saw with the Great Commission, right, in Matthew 28, there's a command, make disciples, and then there are participles, which are descriptors. Um, into how you do that. This isn't one of those times. He's not told, because in a moment you're going to see he responds, and arising he, he goes, or in arising he goed. Anyways, and so he went, right? And so, but here it's a two-part command. The first part of the command is, get up, arise, get up. The second part is, go, okay? And so he's told, and we'll come back to those in a moment, okay, and talk about it, but he's supposed to go from Samaria through Jerusalem, okay, down in that region, to Gaza, and he's specifically told how to go. He's supposed to go down along the road that goes from Jerusalem, and that is deserted, okay? Now, you can debate whether that's it, the Gaza is deserted at the time, whether the road is deserted. Um, there were multiple roads that would travel to, excuse me, to Gaza, and the, the thought process is on this, that it's an unused road, okay? And that, he, so God just tells him, I want you to get up, I want you to go, and I want you to go on this road. I just want you to walk on this road. Does it sound, sound familiar biblically to you about God ever coming to somebody and telling them to get up and go to the land I will show you? But he doesn't tell them the land. He just, <laughs> Abraham, yeah, just go. I just want you to go. Start heading west. When you get there, I'll let you know. God says, hey, I want you to get up off your derriere. Get in the game. I want you to get on I-20, and I want you to head west. And that's it. I gave you a command. Now, ask yourself, would you do it? You say yes. Yes. Okay? But this is your stage of your life, maybe. Yes. Okay? It makes sense? Yeah, exactly right. Okay? But for many, okay, you're going to struggle with this one. I need a little bit more information. That's a little bit outside of my what? My comfort level? You want me to get on the road and you want me just to go to where? Well, I'm not telling you that. The first step of obedience is what? Get up and go. I want you to take the garbage out. I mean, there's no debate on this one, right? I want you to take the garbage out. Now, theoretically, I already know where the garbage is supposed to go. It's supposed to go in the dumpster, right? But that could be the question that the kid asked me, right? What do you want to do with it? When you get up off your duff and you take the garbage out of the thing and you start moving, let's talk about it, you know? But you heard my command. You heard my statement. That's what happens. So God tells him, arise and get up. And look where it is. So 
He's just scattered where? North. And God's telling him to do what? Go south. Backtrack. Go the other way. And it's the road that goes from Jerusalem to Gaza. Don't let that escape you. What's happening in Jerusalem? Persecution. I want you to head back toward the persecution. Well, God, there's a good route that goes from here down to the beach, down to the, to the, the, the sea, and then I could just travel down the King's Highway down that way. It's a, it's a more direct route. If you want me to go to Gaza, then I've I, I got good routes. I can go that way. But God was very specific in how he wanted him to get to Gaza, wasn't he? So I, I want you to just think that one through. Okay, the whole purpose of this message is to challenge you, to challenge Bob, challenge you. Are you submitting to the will of God to go? It's not just a command to a select few. It's to every one of us. Have you heard it? And have you rejected it? Is it there? Are you willing to obey? He doesn't know he's going to meet a eunuch. He doesn't know what he's going to do. All he knows is he's supposed to get off his butt. Sorry, I'm going to speak city here, okay? Get off his butt. Get moving. Get off the bench. Get in the game. Now, that's something to think about because Philip's already what? In the game. And so he's already, he's already involved. But he's got something going on that's good. Do you got something going on that's good? That you say to yourself, well, I'm not sure if I, I can leave this. I mean, maybe you might like your work. You may like where you're at. You may have your, your kids or your grandkids here or, or whatever. You got your dogs and everything else, right? We've got a new pet now, right? So, oh, that could be really exciting. I, well, if I left, if I, if I went there, I'd have to give up my pets. If I went there, I'd have to not be able to see my grandkids. If I went there, you know, you, well, I'm speaking from my perspective, you know. But, you know, my kids, and what am I going to do with my kids? If God says go, your answer should be what? Yes, Lord. Shouldn't be, well, I'll think on this one. Let me meditate on this. But you go. Philip went. And that's what we then begin to see in this command. First of all, arise. This reminds me of Jesus' calling of Levi or Matthew, depending on um, whose version that you, you read it. Okay? His Jewish name was Levi, okay? and then he was called Matthew. But he's sitting at the tax collector booth. He's got a responsibility. He's got a good life. And Jesus walks by and tells him, arise and follow me. And Matthew does what? He gets up. He gets up and go. Secondly, go. And that's where we do. Jesus says, go into the world, preach the gospel to every creature, right? But we read in Matthew 28 that part of that is, the actual thing is to make disciples. And there's three, again, descriptors of that. And that the first descriptor of making a disciple is going. No, go. Yeah, the first is that you got to go. You can't make the disciples until you're what? You're moving. You got to get out of your comfort zone. You got to get off your, off your couch. 
But you, you, you got to get off your, out of your comfort zone. And then you then baptize them. We'll talk about that in a moment, okay, when we come to baptism. But the idea of that is that you're con- there's a conversion that's going on. They're making a decision, okay? But it doesn't end there. The third part is teaching them. That's the whole concept of discipleship. Not making a bunch of babies and letting them hang out there, okay? But the, the goal is that you're continually seeking to teach them, okay? Jesus gave the illustration then of the parable of the wedding, and he went out to the Jewish people. That's the, the idea of this parable, right? And, 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 he, and, he, and he gives them the invitation to come to the wedding, right? And everybody made a what? Excuse why they couldn't come. And so the, the, the king, the, the master of the, of the wedding, right? He's upset. He's mad, right? And so he grabs his servants together and he tells them to do what? Go. Go into the highways and as many as you find what? Invite. Doesn't it kind of sound like what Philip's being told to do right now? Just go into the highway. I want you to go on this specific highway. He doesn't tell him who he's going to meet. He doesn't tell him why he's going to go. But I submit to you that it was Philip's pattern, that it was the purpose of his heart, it was the passion of his life for people to come to know Jesus Christ, to be able to have the joy that he understood and that if you really know Christ is your Savior, I'm, gonna, I'm putting it out there, you want other people to know it too. There's a song from when I was first saved and from my Lutheran days um, that, I don't know, if it's, I think it's from Godspell. And it's a struggle, one of those, you know, ready to sing that song or not. It only takes a spark to get a fire going. And soon all those around can warm up in its glowing. That's how it is with God's love. Once you've experienced it, you spread his love to everyone. You want to pass it on. I wish for you, my friend, this happiness. Thank you. This happiness that I found. Do you, do you, I mean, is it? I mean, do you, do you care about the ones that you love? I remember there was a, a couple that Marsh and I went before our Jesus days, and I told you a couple weeks ago, you know, the rum and all that other kind of stuff, how I used to drink and, and that kind of stuff. And there was this couple that we would do that with. We'd play games and we'd drink and, and go, go to town, right? And anyway, and so after we got saved, one of the first things I wanted to do, tell them about Jesus. He got mad because he claimed to already be saved. And he was living that life. But he never told me about Jesus. His wife got saved. It's really exciting. And then the guy who discipled us wanted discipling them. And so their lives were changed. It's really kind of exciting. Okay? But do you get what I'm saying? You just... I had no desire months earlier to tell people about Jesus. None. No desire. But after I came to understand the love of Christ for me in the testament or in, in Sunday school, David, you were talking about just the, the love of God, how phenomenal the love of God is. It's amazing. When, when you really comprehend everything Jesus has done for you, what God has gone through for you, if you were the only dirtbag sinner that was on the earth, he'd have done it all for you. 
And I say dirtbag sinner, I don't mean I'm qualifying what kind of sinner you are. I'm telling every kind of sinner is a what? A dirtbag sinner, okay? Don't make yourself thinking you're a righteous sinner. That kind of just doesn't flow together, does it? But we would kind of like to do that. You know, we kind of like to say, oh, I'm not as bad as the next guy. No, I'm a dirtbag sinner. I'm a, when I sin, it's an abomination to the Lord. It's a stench in his nostrils. You get that, okay? That's what sin is. Even while you were yet a sinner, Christ died for you. Do you get it? And if you get how much that is, I think Philip got it. He wanted others to know. He went out. Arising, he went. Instant obedience. Isn't that what you want from your kids? I don't want to do the three count with my kids. I'm not going to do a ten. When I get a ten, baby, you're going to... No. And God's not going to do the same thing either. When's the last time you heard from this guy? One... Oh, it doesn't happen that way. When God speaks, he expects you to what? Not just listen, Jimmy. Obey. That's exactly right. He expects you to obey. That's the expectation. Over the Good News Club, we say sin is anything that I think, say, or do that displeases God. Okay? But the reality is I like to boil it down even more. Purely sin is disobedience to god it's how it plays out if god says do this and i don't do it it's sin god says don't do that and i do do it it's sin pretty simple isn't it so there's a whole lot of things that god says in his word and he commands us to do it it's not for me to pick and choose it's not a buffet well i don't like green beans so i'm not going to eat the green beans no if he had the green beans on there and he said bob Thou shalt eat green beans. Guess what? Bob's eating green beans. It doesn't matter whether I like it or not. There's a lot of things that Bob does health-wise now that he wouldn't have done 20, 30 years ago. Do you understand? When, you know, as I'm praying and as I'm understanding God's word and my, my body and how my body, how he's created my body, there are things that I drink like turmeric tea without any sugar in it. I mean, I'm drinking it straight. And Bob whatever 0.5 or whatever version you want to look at that as would never have done that no i'm good would never have done that but but bob keeps praying to god about you know being fearfully and wonderfully made and him knowing my body and the things that are there and and god had someone tell me about turmeric and helping my i don't know if you remember a year ago in in march i was in you can go back to the message where i told you my knee is just killing me i mean it hurts a little bit the turmeric is taking all the swelling out. Okay? Now, that's just a small little thing. Small little detail. Do you get it? But that's an obedience thing for Bob. You want me to what? Drink turmeric? You know, I don't like spice teas. If you ask, Bob drinks fruit teas if he drinks teas at all. Okay? Okay? He's not going to do a spice tea. Now, I know that sounds so mundane. But there's obedience things. Do you get where I'm going? The whole concept of his obedience instant obedience he's told by god arise and go philip what arise and go he went he went just as he was told okay show submission where the jesus has that altercation with the um altercation but the time with the centurion right the centurion tells him i tomb a man under authority i say to this one go and he what he goes so what does it say if God tells you to go and you don't go? You're not under what? His authority. I'm not want to get into the lordship salvation thing, okay? 
But, you know, there's a whole debate many years ago, lordship, salvation, that kind of stuff. But there is the concept that if you really are a believer, you will submit to his lordship. Peter, we're going to talk about this in a few weeks when we get to Acts 10. But he's told to arise and go to Cornelius, the Gentile. And before it happens, though, God gives him that, that vision, right, of the, the unclean things and says, don't call unclean what I call clean. And so now all of a sudden these guys come to the door, okay, and the Spirit says, there's going to be these guys there, I want you to what? I want you to go with them. So when they come, Peter doesn't look at them and go, oh, you guys can't come into this house. I can't go into that house. Peter says, I've just been told what? I need to go. We'll go. Okay? So there's a submission thing that happens there. Okay? Willingness, submission, availability. This is where we talk about Philip had a family. You can go look that up. Okay? But in spite of having a family, Philip went. Now, this is the fun part. I never read in this that his family went with him on his journey. Philip went on his own. He left his family. Now, I don't know if he left his family when he went to Samaria and then he continued to travel. I don't know how it plays out, but I know at this moment he's traveling alone. And I know from Scripture they had a family. Are you willing to leave your family and trust them to God's care? to do what he's called you to do. It's a struggle for me, just like the next guy. Okay? There's battles. that are, I have to weigh those, those things, the, the different hats. Okay? But ultimately, my ultimate obedience needs to be to, to God. And I need to love him with all my heart, soul, mind, and strength. And it needs to be to the point, not that I, I force it this way, but almost to the world, it looks like I'm hating my wife, hating my kids because of my love for God, that I'm choosing him over them. And you've got to ask yourself, do you love God that much? Are you willing to go? Philip was. So he was available. He went. Luke 9, 57, 62. You can read it later. Time-wise, I'm not going to go there. Um, but again, another one of Jesus' parables where he discusses the, uh, the willingness to be able to go, being available. So he talks about, you know, uh, come to Jesus, and, and, and they said, but can I go back and I do this? And he says, no, you've got to leave, leave them, okay? That's the whole idea is you've got to be able to, willing to go, okay? Secondly, then, with the eunuch. So he has this thing with the angel. He responds to it, but now he's with the, the, the eunuch, okay? And you have the identity of the eunuch, first of all, and this is just real quickly, but this is fun, okay? He was a Gentile eunuch. He's an Ethiopian eunuch. Well, that by itself, first of all, Gentile, means that he's not Jewish, right? Second of all, he's a eunuch, which means he's defiled according to the law. So he's doubly what? Unclean. Okay? So when, when Philip's going down the road, at least we're not told. Okay? This is an argument from silence, and I don't mean the, the, to build on it that way. But again, I'm not, we're not told that he's told that there's a specific person he's looking be looking for. All we know is he's going down this deserted road in obedience to God, and he sees the eunuch. He doesn't avoid him. He doesn't turn away from him. Do you understand? He sees him. 
Second of all, this eunuch was a proselyte to Judaism. He was a worshiper of Yahweh. So what's the point I get from this? This is phenomenal to me. God sends, purposely sent Philip to this specific defiled slash deformed Gentile in order for him to be saved. Oh, the wonderful grace of Jesus. Do you get it? This guy's in the middle of nowhere. In the middle of nowhere. He's on the deserted road between Jerusalem and Gaza. But God loved him with an everlasting love. And he called one man to specifically go out there to give him the gospel. I'm not trying to give you a guilt trip. This is a share of the wealth card. I've wondered how many people I was supposed to have done that to. And they didn't hear it at that moment because Bob didn't want to leave his comfort. Again, I, I, I don't know. God probably would have sent somebody else and Philip wouldn't have had the blessing. Does it make sense? But God loves this guy with an everlasting... Do you not, again, how much God loves you? And he has sent people to witness to you, to talk to you, to draw you to himself because he cares about you. If you're here and you've never accepted that, why not? Do you not get what he has done for you and what he is doing to draw you to himself? Submission. It's an amazing thing. Well, the work of the evangelist. We're told to do the work of the evangelist, right? So what does the evangelist do as we see in this passage? First of all, he was observant. He saw the eunuch. Bob is so tunnel-visioned that it's so hard for him to see other people past the point of his nose. He's only focusing on his own stuff. And Bob has to continually pray and ask God to, to help him to see other people. To, to, to care about the other people who are around him. To have eyes that are open. Again, maybe that's why one of the reasons I go with Steve knocking on doors. Okay? To force myself to get out there to see people, to meet people, to, to hear where they're at, to care about them. He was observant. He listened to the spirit. He saw the chariot. He heard the eunuch. Now think about it. The spirit tells him, go up to that chariot, right? So he has to be able to do what? In all the other things going on in life, he needs to listen to the spirit. He needs to hear the spirit, listen to him. And then he needs to obey. Here it comes back to the obedience thing. But then he moves toward the chariot, right? He sees the chariot, right? And he goes toward it, but he doesn't go up to do it in his own way. As he's going up, he's checking out who's in the chariot. What are they doing? And I don't know why the eunuch is speaking out loud and, 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 and talking Isaiah 53 out loud, but that's what he's doing. He's reading from, from the prophet Isaiah, chapter 53, what we understand is chapter 53, okay, at that moment. And he's, and he's reading these things, okay? And so when Philip gets up there, he knows. He knows at least a glimpse of the situation that he's getting into. Does that make sense? You have to be observant. So one of the things, like when we go door to door, Honestly, I'm looking for things around the door. I'm looking for things around the property that maybe I can connect with these people on. You know, you know that 
you know, do they have a Georgia thing? Well, they're Georgia fans. Well, you know, one guy we went to was Tennessee stuff. He was a Tennessee fan. Well, that was a, something that I can try to connect with them on and then go from there to present what? Christ. That's exactly what Philip is doing. He's finding the starting point. He's going to connect with this guy where this guy's at. But that requires you to do what? To look at, to look at other people, to think about other people. And that's what Philippians chapter 2 says. Let nothing be done through strife or vainglory or selfishness, right? But in lowliness of mind, let each esteem others better than themselves. Look not every man on his own thing, but every man also on the things of others. If you're going to minister to somebody, you have to have an eye that's looking toward what they're doing. And then Paul says, let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. So it's to have the mind of Christ and to, to be looking to others and caring about others and, and wanting to minister to others. Ultimately, the goal is to share Christ, right? He was then prepared prepared now again i don't want to miss out the holy spirit side because the holy spirit jesus told them not to worry about what you're going to speak in that day because the holy spirit will give you utterance right but there's a part where philip still had to be semi-prepared in understanding the scriptures right so he hears it he knows where he's at and so then god gives him the, the open door steve what do we pray for before we go knocking the doors we pray for open doors we pray for the holy spirit to to really cause the door to be wide open for him to prepare the heart and for the individual to be ready to receive the gospel it's really exciting when someone asks a question that leads right into it it's like i'm so glad you asked that question i am too because i really don't i hate cold turkey stuff you know so i'm glad when they ask me a question and it's like oh i can teach now and that's exactly what happened the eunuch turns around and says to him what what am i reading who's this about Philip's like, I don't know. Uh, you know, Israel says it's about them, and, uh, you know, the others, they say, he didn't do that. Right off the bat, he's ready. <laughs> Let me tell you about who it's talking about. It's talking about Messiah. And you know what's even more exciting? He came. And you can almost see the eunuch saying, you know, I've heard some of those stories about this guy, Jesus, who came and stuff like that. It wouldn't have been unusual to him, right? Because he was a proselyte to Judaism. Okay, so he probably came for the different feasts and that kind of stuff. And so he probably heard some of the things that were going on. And so now God sends him specifically. Think about this. He doesn't even know this guy's not an angel. I mean, Philip could be. Does anybody know what the word angelos means? Messenger. In Malach, in, in the Hebrew, is the word we translate as angel. But it again means messenger. So in a sense, Philip is at this very moment an angelos, if you would. The, even the word evangelism comes from the Greek, euangelios. U is good. I know it doesn't sound like it would be good. It's like from us we say, no, it's u. No, no, but in Greek, u is good, okay? And it's a good message. It's exactly what it means. Evangelism, euangelios, means it's a good message. That's what it is. A good angel, <laughs> a good angeling one, okay? So it's a good message. And that's, that's what it means. So, so Philip in this moment really is acting, if you would, in an angelic manner, you know. He is, he's taking this message and he's proclaiming it to this guy. It's really kind of cool. The reaction of the eunuch. We don't, we're not given, like Stephen, we're given the entire message, you know, or at least most of the message that Stephen gives before he dies. We're not told the message of Philip. Wouldn't you like to know how he would have taught on that? You know, we'd have a really good thing there. All we're told is that he opened his mouth and he declared Christ. The next thing we know is that they're passing a body of water. And the eunuch interrupts them in the midst of the teaching. 
and says what? Hey, here's a body of water. Why can't I be immersed? Remember the word bap- baptism is baptizes the Greek word baptizo literally means to dip, dunk, or immerse, okay? And so we're going to talk about it in a moment, okay? So the first thing that comes out of his mouth is, right? He says, why can't I be baptized? Why can't I be immersed, right? So we're going to deal with the first part first. He believed. Because Philip turns around to him and says, what? There's only one prerequisite for you being immersed. You need to what? You need to believe. Well, then he says, you need to believe your part, but then he says to him, what do you need to believe? What does he need to believe? Jesus is the Son of God. Now, which is really kind of fun, because Bob struggles, because I, there's a part where, and I, I'm not, the, like, <clears throat> drawled on that you've got to believe that he is God, not just that he's the Son of God. We can have a lot of debates on what does that mean to you. The Jehovah Witnesses would declare that. The Mormons may declare that. Make sense? But they're not going to declare that he is actually the eternal God himself. Okay? And so, so we could debate this one. Say, ah, you know, but it doesn't matter. What do you need to believe? He is the what? He's the son of God. Okay? It's a step up from he's a prophet. You get it? He's not just a man. There's some form of deity about Christ. That's what you need to believe. Now, I've got to believe that in that statement, it was pregnant with the fact that then Jesus, what? Died on the cross for your sins. He was buried, and he, what? Raised from the dead. That, that's baked into the concept that if you really believe that Jesus is the Son of God, then these other things are probably going to be true. You're not going to declare that Jesus is the Son of God without understanding that God came then in the flesh and did these things for you. And apparently, then we read, the eunuch says what? I believe it. I believe it. So they what? They stop. Now, what I, I, I didn't share as well when we talked about who the eunuch was, okay? But we're told that he is a ruler, okay? He is someone of great power, great influence, okay? For Philip to even have gone up to his, his chariot, it's probably in a caravan. There are probably some soldiers who are watching over this guy too because he's the treasurer of Candace, right? And so can you imagine the moment right now? This isn't just the eunuch and a chariot and Philip. This is a large procession, okay? And this eunuch is going to be making a public profession in front of this whole entourage. The whole entourage has to stop at this moment in order for this guy to get immersed. Kind of cool, isn't it? A, it shows the importance of baptism. That, again, I don't believe in baptismal regeneration, that you have to be immersed in water in order to be eternally saved. However, I've talked about this in the past, I do see the extreme importance of it. I don't think it's something to be played with. Just as we're told about with the the, um, communion, in 1 Corinthians 11, it's about the body and, and blood of Christ. And for this reason, some are sick and some are even dying. I think that, you know, even though that it's not literally the body of Christ we're eating and the blood of Christ that we're eating, but that there's something so sacred and so special about this thing that God had commanded, Christ had commanded us to do, that if you do it unworthily, that you're, you're eating and drinking condemnation, damnation to yourself. Okay? 
And so there's punishment that goes along with that. Well, in the same way, baptism is so critical. Why? Because it is the very first step of obedience. Of obedience. If Christ is going to be the Lord of your life, baked into the commission, do you remember? Baked into that commission. Baked into the commission. Is you need to go to make disciples. And the first step of them being a true disciple is that they will do what? They'll be immersed. In the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. Singular name. Another message. But the Trinity's there. And then you teach them. But in our culture, we've just kind of not worried about it. It's a big deal. And it's a big deal of immersion. Why? Because again, as we talked about when we went through Second Peter, it's the picture of death that's there. It's like going to Noah, you know, and, 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 and who, was, who was delivered? Well, we got Noah and his wife and his three sons and their wives. What happened to everybody else? They were immersed. They were immersed. They were immersed. Do you get it? They drowned. They weren't saved through immersion. They died through immersion. And when you are immersed, however that plays out, you know, whether it's immersing this way or this way, everybody has their modes, right? But when you are immersed, the picture Romans chapter 6 tells us is that you are doing the portrayal of entering into death. And if you go backwards, like we do it, right? And, and let's say it's me. I kind of joked when, when Marcia, because Marcia got rebaptized soon after we started this church. She was convicted that she was potentially immersed before she got saved. And so, so I got the, chance, the opportunity to immerse my own wife. And I just joked with everybody, make sure I pick her back up out of the water. Okay? Now, I, I would. But at that moment, especially going over backwards, you're at the mercy of the one dunking you. If I hold her under... Immersion doesn't mean salvation, right? Okay? It means I go to jail. Okay? So, anyways. But, but the reality is, you hear what I'm saying? That this is an important part of the picture. That Philip and, and the eunuch go down into the water, both of them. Both of them. If it was singular that, the, that there's not an individual helping you, that one individual could go down to the water himself, and they could dunk themselves, and they come back up. But there's a pattern that's going on here, and I don't want to make too much of it, but I think God tells us this for a specific reason. And he goes down, and he's immersed. And when they, they come back up out of the water. But, and again, argument from silence, and I, don't, I hate arguments from silence, but this is a reality. Since we talked about, and we've talked about the pouring out of the Holy Spirit and the empowerment of the Holy Spirit and that kind of stuff, what do you not see happening in this passage? Say again. No laying on hands, but no manifestation of the Spirit. Okay? If, if that was important to salvation, like we saw last week in, um, in Samaria, I would think at this moment that we're be told, and next week as we go into Paul, when Paul gets saved, we're not, we don't see it as well. Okay? And so, again, I think there's a purpose for what happens with those things that we're told and that we're talking about Judea and Samaria and the most part of the world, okay? That it has nothing to do with this moment. This has nothing to do with that. It's not assigned to the Jews, da-da-da-da-da, that this is playing out. Just a little side subject, a little side thing, okay? But he believes, all right, and then he is baptized. Well, then from this moment, we have this, this, this half a verse, which is 
an amazing half a verse. Because at this moment, they come up out of the water and, and Philip is raptured. The Greek word is harpazo. He's harpazoed. Okay? But we all talk about, we're looking forward to the rapture. That's the Latin word, rapturo. The Greek word is harpazo. It means to be violently, forcefully snatched. That's what it means. You've got all the references on your sermon note sheet, all the references where it's being used. Okay? Paul says in 2 Corinthians chapter 12 that he knows a man. He's talking about himself. And he says that he was snatched into the third heavens. In 1 Thessalonians 4, when he's talking about the church, we're talking about Jesus coming in the clouds, he says that the church is going to be snatched away. In Revelation, the passage in Revelation is talking about in the picture when, when, the, um, when the woman was about to give birth and the dragon was there and it was going to devour the child as soon as he was born, that the, when the child was born, it was snatched and taken into heaven. At this moment, Philip is what? Snatched! He snatched! Bam! Don't you wonder what that looked like? I mean, the eunuch is like, uh, now, I mean, I don't, I can't, I'm not going to argue from silence here, but I think eunuch thinks, he, or the eunuch thinks he probably saw an angel. <laughs> I mean, take it whatever it's worth. I mean, I don't know about you, but I know, um, so, a guy, um, Chris Gates, some of you know him, um, it's a great testimony. Um, they were in Chicago, and they got on the L going the wrong direction, okay, and they were in the wrong part of Chicago, okay, and Say again? Yeah. And, and so they're trying to figure out what they're going to do, and they're praying about it. And on comes, to the L, comes this big old guy who looks at them and says, you're not where you belong. Follow me. And the L stops at the next stop. He gets them off. He takes them to the, the, to the, the, the little corner, puts them in a taxi. They turn around to thank him, and he's gone. Did they have an angel? Unaware? Who knows? But that's the moment. Make sense? He sent him a Philip. Philip got him where they needed to be, and they turned around to thank him, and he's gone. That's exactly what, how this plays out. You can almost see the eunuch wanting to say thanks to him, and he's, he's gone. And then, so he's snatched, right, by force, and he's dropped off at Azotus. He's found. It's the word Eureka. Eureka. It's also where we get the word heuristics from. So if you've done any kind of um, computer kind of stuff, that's where the word heuristics comes from as well, the, the Greek word here. And it means to have then this, this, this um, algorithm of deciphering and finding things out. Well, he was found. I don't have anything to tell you on this other than this. I love this and it ponders. I love this. It's just a couple of words. But I ponder this. What do you mean he was found? I mean, like he just... Do you ever, all right, you guys with the gray heads. Yeah, you're right. But you guys ever play, um, 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 oh, come asteroids? Okay. Yeah, you know, and, and the asteroids are coming harder and harder and harder and harder and harder. You're doing really, really, really well, but all of a sudden it gets to be too much, and you hit what? Hyperspace. Oh, you get the gray hair. And you hit hyperspace, and what happens? You show up some other place on the screen. You got to look, find out where you're at, right? But you're found in another spot on the screen. That's all I can tell you what happened with Philip. He was snatched by God, and all of a sudden, boop! He's in his office. I'd love to have been there. I mean, could you imagine being on the street, and all of a sudden, this guy's standing there? So, do you know Jesus is your Savior? Because <laughs> he picks up. He picks up. 
right where he left off. Philip was faithful all the way to Caesarea. The next time we're going to see him is later on um, in the book of Acts because Paul's going to stay at his house in Caesarea. So on his whole travel, I don't know if he sent his family off to Caesarea ahead of time. I don't know how this played out, right? But he, all of a sudden, he's in the Zodis. I can almost kind of see him looking like, okay, where's the local gas station? I need to find out where I'm at, you know? And he's there. And he gets his bearings or whatever. I don't know how this plays out. But he travels to Caesarea, and we're told that he what? He preaches the gospel all along the way. Why? Because it was his passion. It was his passion for people to come to know Jesus. What's your passion? What is it that you want to talk about? I mean, I've, I've admitted. I mean, I, I don't talk about the Steelers as much anymore. Okay? But I, I still love NFL. You know? I, I still, still like that kind of stuff, sports and that kind of stuff. And this is true. I want to, because I want to talk to people about Jesus more than I want to talk to them about sports. Do you get it? But there's battles that go on. When you get together with other guys, or ladies with ladies, what do you want to talk about the most? Do you want to talk about recipes, ladies? Guys, do you want to talk about sports? Or do you want to talk about what God's showing you in his word? I love when I have meetings with guys, and we talk about God's word. I can connect there. Not just because... I'm a pastor, and I'd like to teach God's word. I do that kind of stuff because God called me to do this because I have a passion for it. Does that make sense? I mean, I taught trigonometry and geometry in a local academy, okay? And I enjoy teaching. But I'd rather, much rather talk to you about Jesus and what God's doing in my life than how God has, has created right angles and all the different the trigonometric functions that are go on. And that's exciting. Talk to me someday about the unit circle if you don't even know what the unit circle is. And we can have a great time and I can talk about the unit circle. Talk to me about the mental broad set. And I mean, and we can have a phenomenal time of just going and passionate about uh, what, how God reveals himself in mathematics, okay? But you know what? All that's meaningless if it's not for the death, burial, resurrection of my Lord and Savior who loved me with an everlasting love and came and died for me. Isn't that kind of cool? For me! And I know what kind of a worm Bob was. It still really is. I like to think I'm a clean worm right now. But I'm still, there are times when I prove to myself, I don't have to prove it to God, he knows my heart, right? But I prove it to myself, I'm still what? I'm still a dirtbag sinner. Thank you, Shireen, I appreciate that. <laughs> yes. So in the end, how have you responded to the Lord's command? To go and make disciples. Have you responded to it? Now, again, I, I get it. Philip was an evangelist. Philip clearly had a gift. And I can hide behind that statement and say, well, I don't have the gift. I don't see that Jesus said, and if you've been gifted as an evangelist, go and make disciples. He said, go. Do it. And when, when, the, when he invites them and people start giving him the excuse, he doesn't ex- let them off. That, he lets them know, you've got to make a decision. Who are you going to follow? Who are you serving? You serving me or are you serving the world? You serving me? You serving your family? Make a decision. You don't have two lords. Isn't that what he said in Matthew chapter 6? You can't have two gods because you're going to love the one and despise the other. You're going to serve the one and not the other. Choose who is your Lord. Choose to whom you will obey. And are you going to do what God has called you to do? 
Are you willing to leave your livelihood to serve where God leads you? There are a whole lot of people, A, around the world that need to know Jesus Christ. And do you realize that, that the missionaries have fallen off because the church, quote-unquote, is more content to make money than to go out and serve Christ? Do you know that there are churches right now who don't have a pastor because no one's willing to go? Family Bible Church of, of um, Kentucky, of Knoxville, not Tennessee, thank you. I said Kentucky. Knoxville, Tennessee. They named the church after us. It's kind of cool. But they don't have a pastor. Dan has made a decision. Dan Nave, you got, so some, most of you know Dan. We support Southeast Church Extension. Has made a commitment to pastor until they find somebody. But in, to go there, you've got to know that you're going to be bivocational. Nobody wants to do that. Who wants to do that? Who wants to be able to put their family under that kind of duress? If you have a passion for Christ and a passion for the kingdom of God, then you're willing to do that. Does that make sense? All I can tell you, and this is not a sob story, okay? But when we started the plan to this church, it wasn't a plan of ours that we, we weren't going to do that. That wasn't our plan. God worked that out, okay? I had five jobs at one time. Five. Five jobs at one time. I'm going to tell myself for a moment right now. You ready for this? I preached through Acts back in 2007. Four years into planting this church. When I had five. I go back through my notes and I'm thinking, and, I, and, and clearly, you know, I'm, I'm not relying on those notes, but I'm going to go back through and I'm going to use those things. I think to myself, how did I do that? How did I, how, how could I do that? I mean, five jobs? I was a truck driver. And this is not for real. I drove a truck. You can ask Marcia. You can ask others. Confirm. I drove a truck. I taught in a school. I tutored in math and, and Greek. Um, I did cleanouts, And the Lord worked out a, a, a home maintenance thing that wound up going into a home improvements thing. And then we started doing bathroom and kitchen remodels. That wasn't me. I didn't start the company. I never started the company. The real estate lady called me up. But God is faithful. If you're willing. I can tell you the times where I had $6,000 checks show up in my, my, in my mail. Sent from Europe. A week and a half before I had ever prayed. And he met my needs. I can tell you about or, dentists who gave my, my family with seven kids free care for years. And then said when one of my kids needed an orthodontist, and I didn't have any money for that. He said, well, there's still a little bit of money left from what I thought I'd be spending. And he says, I'll put it toward the dollars, to be honest. How does that play out? I had a family doctor who gave us free care. I had a pediatrician who gave us free care. I had free medical coverage with medical and dental for years. For me and seven kids. God told me, I don't need to give you money. I just promise to meet your needs. Are you tracking with me? If there's any part of you that is not going because you're afraid, give it up. I am the wrong guy to talk to about it. All I can do is tell you how faithful my God is to provide for those who are willing to go. He may allow you to go through a wilderness. 
I've been through the wilderness. I get that. I asked God, God, if you want to put me on a shelf sometime, put me on a shelf. He did. It was okay. I learned a lot in that wilderness. I learned a lot about the faithfulness of my God and his provision for my family. And never say you're too old. You're not too old. Do you realize, in my brain, and I still mess up big time, I mess up, but I'm starting to realize that I'm finally at the position where God is going to use me. I feel bad for the people who had to go through my, my training years. Are you tracking? You're seasoned. If you're older, you're seasoned. You, if you've been in the Word, you know the Word. You don't have to be necessarily be seminary trained. If you give an answer for the hopeless within you, the Bible doesn't talk about a seminary. There's a, there's a, a point for training, okay, and I'm not poo-pooing that. But you young guys and g- gals, right now is even going into the ministry, even a blip on the map for you. If it's not, why? I mean, we have all these things we want to be. I want to be a disciple of Jesus. That's where it started when I got saved. I'd gone to church for 22 and a half years. And I didn't know him. And now I knew him. I didn't want to become a Baptist. Leave being a Lutheran, becoming a Baptist. I just wanted to be a disciple of Jesus. And when I got saved, I gave God a blank check. I didn't know I did. I didn't mean to. I, I just prayed, Lord, if you can save this wicked soul, I'm yours. If I would have realized I should have been more defined in what I was really giving away, um, maybe I would have done that. But I wrote the blank check, and God took it. Again, this isn't about Bob. I really don't mean it as that. This is my challenge to you. Please, I'm 61. I got 20 years left. I'm not saying I'm going to die when I'm 81. You get what I'm saying, though, okay? But the reality is that the Bible says you got 70 years, and if by strength, what? 80. There needs to be a new generation coming up. who's willing to give their life because people need to know. They need to know. Are you willing to live your livelihood to serve? I thought, I think I'm having issues. Here, there we go. He is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. Jim Elliot. What happened to Jim Elliot? He was killed by the Aukas. But his wife, Elizabeth, continued to proclaim that message. Even though she hurt through it, she recognized the truth of that statement. And it was his wife and the sister of Nate Saint, who also died. Nate Saint was the pilot. Elizabeth Elliot and the sister of Nate Saint, Rachel, I think was her name, who went back down and reached the Aukas for Christ. God had a purpose in their martyrdom in their sacrifice. And the same people who killed him came to know Christ and led other people to Christ. Do you have a true passion to see people come to know Christ? What is your priority? Is there then a need to change the way you think and change the way you act? Father, thank you for you. Thank you for your love. Thank you for your faithfulness to us, your love, your passion for us. Lord, I pray that you would work 
in me a passion for those things which you are impassioned for, to love those whom you love. Lord, give me a desire to be holy as you're holy, to be set apart in such a way that you can use me. But then, Lord, open up the opportunities, the privileges to be able to share Christ. Lord, help us to be patient. Help us to persevere in those moments, knowing that you will give us the power. Some water, some sow. You're the one who gives the increase. Help us to be faithful to enter the field that you might receive the glory. In Christ's name, amen.